All your base are belong to us. Hello. 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 Hey. Hey. What's up? What's what's cracking? What's a crackalackin'? What's crackalackin'? It's 2003 here. Uh, hello and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy. I'm a writer, and I've been spending a lot of time reading Hellblazer and watching Skins in preparation for our upcoming episodes, so I don't have a lot. I'm Mary. I'm a marketer, and I also have been reading a lot of Constantine, and... Uh, I had two books I did not finish, so those are not here, and so I don't have a lot of stuff. That's how it is today. You got a long one last time. This time you get a short yeah, one. Yeah, it just is what it is. Um, do you want me to go first? Sure. Uh, I've been watching Grace and Frankie, which is a Netflix sitcom starring Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, um, where they play Grace and Frankie. Um, Grace is kind of like a... She is a semi-retired former CEO of a... Um, like beauty brand and Frankie is an old artist hippie um, and they are married at the beginning of the show I've, I think I've talked about the beginning of the show before but yes um, I believe you have they are married to uh, Robert and Saul two lawyers and as it turns out they are no longer married to them because Robert and Saul have been cheating on Grace and Frankie with one another <laughs> for the past 25 years um, so it's a long time to cheat on someone. Oh, yeah. It's a long time to cheat. Uh, they end up getting divorced and Grace and Frankie, um, through a series of happenstances, end up moving in together into the the beach house that the families own together. Um, and they hate each other, but they become best friends and so on and so forth. It's really cute. It's a really, really cute sitcom. Uh, it takes a while to get going. And as I, yeah, I definitely did talk about it because I was talking about Saul and the fact that, like, let that man just be bisexual. Just <laughs> come on. Come on. Old people don't believe in bisexuality. It's. They already think that they're woke enough to believe in, in homosexuality. The thing, I think the thing is that, like, there are some parts of the show that I find, like, genuinely very, um, very good about queerness among older people um especially like there's an arc maybe midway through the show or m something like that where um Saul and Robert are kind of struggling in their relationship and they end up going to couples counseling mm -hmm. and the counselor suggests that they have an open relationship because of certain like struggles that they're having and the, and the counselor says like something along the lines of it's very common among older men and among older gay men especially to look outside of their relationships so why not open your relationship so that there isn't like a problem between you about this and so they're like okay maybe and then they just hate it like yeah. they don't they don't like it they don't want to be in an open relationship they want to be with one another and i thought the fact that of like addressing open relationships among queer men as a norm and then also a norm that is not appropriate for them I thought that was like mm. actually really effective and there's like differences between Robert and Saul as far as um like their approach to what their queer lives look like now that they're out because Saul is very proud and he wants everybody to know and Robert is Catholic and he's played by Martin Sheen mm. and he who is himself Catholic and it's like 
not like the hugest fan of Martin Sheen, <laughs> um, but like it is kind of amazing to watch him be willing to like kiss another man on TV as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, so they have these different expectations about what their relationship should look like and how they should behave as, you know, queer men in their seventies. Um, and I think that kind of stuff is really, really effective. This show is a sitcom and therefore is predicated on every fucking single episode being someone refusing to talk about something or somebody misunderstanding something that the other person has said. Um, that is like a source of, I would say, 90% of the show's <laughs> drama, which is super annoying. Um, but the show is very, very funny and it deals with a lot of things that like often go unsaid, especially Grace and Frankie end up starting a company together. Um specifically around struggles that older women face such as like this is going to be a not safe for work conversation our episodes are always tagged explicit but this particular conversation is not safe for work so um their first product is a lube that um that frankie has developed made out of yams and um she has developed it specifically because vaginal dryness is really common among postmenopausal women mm-hmm. Um, so she creates a product to satisfy that need. Um, with yams. With yams. Grace, uh, struggles with arthritis and during like a time when she's not seeing anybody, she start. I think she starts using a vibrator, but it's too difficult for her to use and she ends up hurting her hand hmm. because it's not meant for women with arthritis. So together, Grace and Frankie create a, v- a vibrator specifically for older women with arthritis. Hmm. Um, and then even later in the show, featuring a shark tank episode like literally they use the shark tank set and everything um they start creating a toilet that helps lift the user up um to help prevent falls in the bathroom like stuff like that it's genuinely really sweet like genuinely really sweet and like thoughtful because you don't see jokes about that kind of thing coming from the people that it affects you usually Mm -hmm. see it coming from like oh granny fell off the toilet or something like that which is like actually really dangerous so um but yeah it's really sweet it's really cute um it's really raunchy too which is a really funny mixture um honestly grace or grace uh jane fonda and lily tomlin are amazing together i don't believe i know jane fonda has definitely had some work done but like that woman does not look 84 what the fuck um i also think it's hysterically funny that uh lily tomlin in the show is ostensibly straight um but in real life is a lesbian interesting <laughs> and has been out for ages also voiced miss frizzle on the magic school bus good. um but yeah it's it's really really cute it's really good my favorite parts are definitely brianna who is grace's one of grace's daughters and has taken over say grace her beauty company um brianna's like a huge bitch um she's like a commitment phobic like just mean old she's not old she's just a mean girl and she ends up dating the accountant i think for say grace who is the biggest doofus just the biggest fucking doofus i love him he's perfect in every way um but yeah it's really really cute and i've enjoyed it quite a bit there are definitely some low points i think the show's one of the show's biggest weaknesses aside from the fact that saul is definitely bisexual please just let him be bisexual it's so weird because like the things that happen i'm like 
he keeps referring to himself as gay, which is fine if I believe that he actually mm-hmm. was gay and not bisexual. And the show is just like, it's not that bisexual bisexuality doesn't exist because there is another, like, I'll just spoil this. Um, Grace at one point makes an offhand reference to Frankie about having been with women before. So it's not that the show is saying that like you have to pick. It's just like for some reason pointedly refusing to use the word bisexual. Um, but the the thing that really like I don't know why this sticks like why this irks me so much, but one of the one of the things that annoys me most about the show is its tendency to just like tease a plot line and then never mention it again. Like there's a scene maybe midway through the show at the end of a season where it is implied that Barry, who is the accountant for say grace that he is dating somebody. And then that person never materializes or at the end of one season, coyote grace or Frankie's one of Frankie and Saul's children. Um, coyote, uh, leaves for LA with a woman that he's been seeing for a while and then in the beginning of the next season they're like oh it didn't work out huh. it's like why <laughs> why did that all happen off screen what's going on here they just like drop plot lines like that with no explanation um but overall it's a really really cute show if you need just like a fun sitcom um and if you I guess if if you really like Shark Tank which I've never seen there is a Shark Tank oh also um Sandy Cohen is in it and it's he plays the opposite of Sandy Cohen. <laughs> like, what if Sandy Cohen was a rich asshole? That's crazy. Very That's a crazy thing to say. Very enjoyable. Um, also, the the funniest thing about this about Sandy, the not Sandy, his name is Peter Gallagher. The funniest thing about Peter Gallagher's character to me is that like there's this big point of tension between him because he dates Grace. Um, there's this big like point of tension between the two of them that she is too old for him, but. Uh, Jane Fonda looks younger than him by like a significant margin. And it's every time I, every time they're like, Oh, she's so worried because she's older than him. And like somebody thinks she's his mom. I'm like, what in what fucking world in what fucking world would anybody think that she is his mother? That's hilarious. Don't be ridiculous, but it is a very enjoyable show. Um, and I do recommend it. If that sounds interesting, just know that, you know, I think it's by the creator of friends. So, Mm. It's it does some weird shit sometimes, but it, they definitely have grown since friends. So well, I'll give them that. I watched the new season of Queer Eye and it was delightful again, as it, <laughs> as it usually is um, this time. So it was really interesting because the first one they did was a they, so they were in Texas this time. And the first woman that they went to, um, she she was probably my favorite one that they did, but she dressed very scantily clad she was a grandmother and um she had this like really long blonde hair that was fake you find out and she has a bar restaurant that she does line dancing teaching at um and it was it was like so they did this episode and then the pandemic hit to the point they couldn't do anymore so it was a real it was really interesting in that they actually went back to her afterwards to see how how it went and I'm glad that they did because it gave a lot more depth to her like um not makeover but you know her queer eyed (laughs) (laughs) um and what was really cool about her story was she refused to take off her fake hair on 
like when they were there, she refused to do it. Um, Jonathan ended up having to uh, style her wig essentially. And when, before he left, he gave her this thing that you wear, I guess like twice or three times a week. And it's supposed to simu- stimulate your head and help hair growth. And they come back and she has this beautiful long hair and they're like, Oh, you're still wearing the wigs. And she's like, no, this is my hair. And it was like this, it was just a really like heartwarming. She gained the confidence to, you know, show her own hair and it had become so beautiful. And she just was in a good place. And it was just really sweet. Um, That was probably my favorite one. My least favorite one was when they went and helped the guy who uh, owned the cow ranch because he was a bad person. (laughs) And I think this happens a lot with Queer Eye. And it's one of those things where like, I get what they're trying to do. But in the end, I don't think it works for me. He was very conservative to the point where he told them, I want to be your guys's first Republican friend, which is like a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't want to. They're do... pretty wealthy. They probably have other Republican. I know, I know. I know. Right. Uh, and they've they've met. They've done a ton of Republicans. Yeah. Uh, probably in every sense. Um, and. <laughs> Uh, he was so set in his ways of like what masculinity is. He had, he got him. So they essentially got him a new house because he was living in a, uh, a a shipping container and it was disgusting. Like to the point where they're like, we literally can't save this. We're getting you a new shipping container. (laughs) And he was clearly like very moved by this. And he, and his response was, I don't want to make this weird, but I'd like to give you guys a hug. And like, that's not weird. (laughs) And he had a hard time wearing boots that had any type of heel. Like, literally, his cowboy boots have heels. But because they weren't cowboy boots, he didn't find it manly enough. Wild. And it was just, it was a lot of, like, that stuff. And it was just one of those things, like, I understand you're trying to bridge this, like, gap between two different um, sides of, like, a political spectrum and, like, way of life. But I don't think this man deserves your time. (laughs) I just don't think he deserves your time. Mm -hmm. And it was frustrating to go from that to then going to a trans woman who is, like, a bodybuilder and was just so sweet and so happy and just absolutely deserved everything she had ever worked for. Um, And like, it was just one of those things like that man did not deserve your guys's time. He didn't appreciate the things he was just embarrassed most of the time. I think that's one of those moments that reveals who the show is for. And it's not for like, yeah, it's definitely not for queer people. Like it can be enjoyed by them. I'm not saying it's like, you can't like it, but it's one of those things that's just like, it is a very like feel good appealing to the broadest liberal sense yeah. of like everybody can get along. Yeah. And I'm just not like, there are some of them that I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. But this man was so, I mean, he was so just, it was too much like toxic masculinity. He'd probably like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Like he just like giving a man a hug is not weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's not weird. Uh, I do take it back, though. My favorite episode was when they went to this one woman's, um, her property, and she uh, takes in disabled animals to help children with different um, disabilities. And it was like crying through the whole thing. She was just so invested in what she was doing. And like all of them were crying the whole time. She was so burnt out that when they showed up, she just had a complete 
breakdown because like no, it's not that no one shows up for her it's just that she's the the one that always shows up like she's always the one who's doing the emotional work and like at one point they go into her closet and they're like it's a mess and she's like well I really just use this closet to like um get a little bit of work done and cry <laughs> it was so good in the end they ended up getting her a new barn um because when the freeze hit Texas all those what two years ago um they lost some of the animals because she didn't have a barn to put them in mm. and it was just oh, it was so sweet and she found out i can't remember his name the guy who does all the food that he hadn't he had never climbed a tree and she freaked what? out and she's like before you guys leave we're climbing a tree <laughs> she was just so sweet and happy and just absolutely deserved everything that they did for her and i just you know it, she, she just deserves so much and they and and that's who deserves this stuff not not this other guy they had another one where um the, they did a prom for high for high schoolers and like those kids deserved it <laughs> they were tr- they just wanted to have something for um the school to rem- like the senior year to remember and they had to have it outside and they were going to do it in the courtyard which was a dump and so they got this other place to do it and they did the prom there and all the kids had fun after like not being able to see people and seeing some people for the first time those are the stories I want to watch yeah not not redemption for yeah and they've done a few where I'm like that that's like I don't hate that but this man was so vile Mm -hmm. he was just so vile um and I, like, I understand why they do that, but it's just kind of, like, it's unpleasant for a certain type of viewer. He just, like, thought Jonathan, who does the hair, it was like, he's like, you're just a little too much. I'm just like, <laughs> fuck you. He did have a really good, um, like, conversation with him. And this is actually one of the clips I show if you, like, bring it up on Netflix and it autoplays because it's awful. Um, and he he's really big on manners. And he... Um, he referred to Jonathan as a he, and Jonathan is non-binary. And so Jonathan was like, you know, I'm non-binary. And, and there was a good conversation about, he, Jonathan goes by he, him, she, her, they, like, they, them. And there was a good conversation about pronouns and, um, like, how do you know? And it was, he's like, you just ask. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was a great conversation. Um, but that could have been a great conversation with anybody. Right. <laughs> so... I don't know. I feel like this man was like, you guys are my friends, um, but tomorrow I'm going to vote against rights for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the thing that really, like, when, like, especially if you are the kind of person who would be targeted by that kind of vitriol, or yep. if you are, like, a close friend of somebody who would be targeted by that kind of, it could be really frustrating to watch because those these ideas are not theoretical to you. They are clear and present dangers, right? Like, yeah. So seeing somebody be treated, like, so deserving of of all of this while like people you know suffer yeah um it's very it makes you feel very bitter yeah it did um so i don't know i really liked it if we just took that episode out yeah all the other ones were so good i think the first season had one also the they usually had a have cop. one once a, once a season they're like the really uncomfortable episode with a cop i think mm-hmm. yeah they usually uh, another thing that was really great about this is Karamo, I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched it, but every shirt that he wore was a political statement. A lot of them had the names of black people who have died. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were like just really bold statements that don't that shouldn't be bold statements about 
being black. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really good. Also, he hates going to farms (laughs) and ranches. Like, he despises it. And I'm like, yeah, despise it. (laughs) But yeah, it was good. And just skip that one episode. Yeah. Um, I read Moonheart by Charles DeLintz. And... I have really, really mixed feelings about this book. So Charles DeLint is a fantasy writer. Um, he is one of the originators of like what has become the urban fantasy genre. Mary, he was one of the original like border town writers. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And he wrote that story that you really liked at the end of the new border town. Um, the, I think it was called The Green Man or something like that. It's the one with like the Native American oh, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's Charles DeLint. Um, this book came out and I, th- I want to say 1984 and... It sure felt like it came out in 1984. Um, I'm glad that Charles Lynn's depictions of Native American or Native American, in this case, First Nations, um, people has improved over 30 years. Um, No, it still would have been for... I can't do math. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so the book is about... It takes place in Ottawa, which I believe is where Charles Dillon lives. Um... I love books that have like a really specific setting, especially if it's somewhere I haven't been. I don't know. I just find that so charming. Um, and in this book, it is about primarily about a girl named Sarah who works at this like kind of curiosities antique shop. Um, and she finds this artifact. It's like a, a bag full of like bone discs that have images carved on them, yeah. a little painting and something else. I can't remember what it was. For um, some reason, when you said bone discs, I mean, it felt like CDs. I was like, <laughs> how do you make a CD out of bone? It's pretty It's pretty difficult. Um, and she lives in this house that is like definitely magical, but not in like a way that anybody can put their finger on. You just kind of know. You're just like, that's a magic house. Just like when you know a house is haunted. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that house is magical. Uh, even before it does anything magical, you know that house is magical. Um, and then what ends up happening is that she kind of time travels, magical travels into uh, the past, but also this other, it's called just called the other world, I think. Um, and she ends up meeting with, meeting up with one of the people in the painting that she finds at the shop, um, who is this ancient bard from ancient times, ancient Celtic times. Um and at the, there's a parallel story about Kiernan Foy, who is the sort of apprentice to Thomas. I can never remember his name because I pronounced it wrong through the whole thing. I kept putting a Y and there was no Y in it. Anyway, his name is Thomas. And he, um, he's gone missing. And we follow Kiernan as he's looking for Thomas. Uh, and he also ends up with some magic shit going on. Um, and then at the same time, there's another story of the police looking for Thomas. And then at the same time, there's another story about Sarah's uncle. And there were too many stories. <laughs> there were too many stories happening, um, which, you know, I can deal with. I can deal with the too many stories happening. But did he just go for it? You know you love when someone just goes for it. He, You know, Charles Lint does go for it, and I appreciate that. But the thing that really got to me was, as I said, this came out in 1984, and it sure felt like it came out in 1984 when they got to the other world and it was full of people who are not indigenous First Nations, but who are definitely indigenous First Nations. It had every noble savage thing in the book oh, going. No. It was really was it like 1984. Yeah. 
it was rough. Um, and it was it, like when I say it was the, the kind of noble savage thing is it, it wasn't like um, it clearly he wasn't trying to be nasty or he wasn't trying to be like, oh, horrible Native American First Nations people like, oh, they're so awful. It was like, oh, they're so wise and magical uh, in a way that boy, howdy, just did not feel good to read in 2022. <laughs> uh, it was just like. Mm, this is this this specific type of fantasy i don't know how to describe it other than as like this like fantasy that's very rooted in almost like environmentalism and being attached to a specific place uh a book i read when i was a kid was t a t a baron's um the ancient one which is like about a girl in crater lake oregon who like time travels through a tree i loved this book so fucking much and uh it reminded me quite a bit of the feeling of reading that and i used to pick up all the like i was not a discerning reader as a child and i would pick up like any book that i thought looked cool and i read a lot of books that had this kind of and i don't remember the names of most of them but i read a lot of books that had this very similar like uh, connection to like a very specific place and then like the nature of that place and that was something that I really loved as a kid and that's something that this book does very well is like it's very specifically about Ottawa um, and it is also very specifically about like nature and history and and that kind of thing and I really liked that part of it um, but I am glad that as time has gone on we have managed to like not be so fucking stereotypical <laughs> um, the first the the book is split into four parts. The first part was very good and the last part was very good and like the whole book is about this kind of imagined but also not imagined conflict between um this guy these two people from the past one of whom was like they're both wizards basically <laughs> they're bards you know whatever. Um there's like all of this different like battling with yourself and the different versions of yourself and also the magic house which exists in two places at once and like all that kind of stuff was pretty cool um it was just really bogged down by things that were considered acceptable in fantasy in the 80s and are not anymore um which is good for that is for the best um but i'm gonna give the second book in the series a shot because there was a lot i liked about this one um i like charles delin's writing i like I don't know. I, I wish I could put my finger on what exactly it is that I love about these. Like the book starts in like this curiosity shop with this um, the, with Sarah just kind of like, oh, here comes my least favorite customer. I'm going to yell at her. But like it's like this very specific like it has this like specific mood that I'm like, <laughs> I love that mood so much of like this little curiosity shop and like there's all this potential for magic to happen and like there's these magical artifacts that she, I'm like yes 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 <laughs> and then it's like oh and here's my weird take on First Nations people and I'm like Aww. oh I don't want that I don't like that part of it um also <laughs> I was reading some of the Goodreads reviews because I was just curious what people were saying about it and people were really mad that people were like instantly falling in love and I was like you know I guess, but I like I don't really care. It's a fantasy. Yeah, and, like they can fall in love right away. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, they just met each other and now they're you know life partners because they had sex one time. Whatever, I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm not here for realism. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It was a real mixed bag. There was a lot I liked about it, and unfortunately, like the parts that I didn't like took up more of the part more of the book than the parts I did like but the parts that I liked were really good so I'm not going to recommend it I think if you want <laughs> if you want to if you want to give Charles Delint a shot 
he has newer books that are probably better. Um, I actually haven't read a lot of his novels. I think I've, I know I've read one all the way through, which is like Dreams Underfoot, which I think I quite liked. Um, but his short fiction I enjoy, and I'm glad that he's not writing noble savage characters the same way he was in the 80s. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a mixed bag. I'll let you know how I feel about the second one in eight years when I get around to reading it. Um, I read the book Punk 57 by Penelope Douglas, and I've seen this book a lot on Book Talk. Also, it's like a lot of them. I don't think so much anymore that I've seen recently, but um, when I first started like looking at Book Talk, there was a lot of like spicy books. I don't think this book was very spicy, but it's fine. Um, which is good because it's about high schoolers. <laughs> like, there's definitely some like graphic sex in it. They're all they're both eighteen, but like, I didn't feel like oh spicy. I felt like yes, they're having some graphics. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It is about a book. Uh, it's about a book. It's about two two people. Um, Ryan, who's a girl, and Misha, who's a boy, who accidentally get paired together. Um, in like elementary school to become pen pals. They're supposed to be paired with like the same sex, and Ryan sounds like a boy name, and Misha sounds like a girl name, so they get paired up incorrectly. But they ended up continuing to be pen pals and write each other all the time. And she, they write about nerdy things like Star Wars and just all this kind of stuff. I'm like, yes, yes, this is 100% what I'm looking for. He's really into like, he's essentially like an emo kid. I was like, oh my God, I should have <laughs> loved this book. Like, this is great. This is wonderful. He finally sees her because they agreed not to like meet. They agreed not to, they essentially agreed not to look each other up on social media. So they have no idea what each other look like. He accidentally finds out she's at a, a, um, a fundraiser that they're having for his band he's in. I'm just like, yes, this is great. And uh oh, she's really hot. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't say anything because he doesn't want to meet under those circumstances. But that night, his sister keeps calling him and he's like, he doesn't answer because he's talking to her. And it ends up she had a heart attack on the side of the road and died. Oh she God. was she was taking a lot of um, pills to stay up and uh, get like she had like a 4.2 GPA, things like that. And so after her, his sister dies, he kind of goes like missing for three months. He doesn't respond to her anything and um eventually he ends up going to the same school you don't really know why to the end and it was actually pretty good but um you find out she's like this really mean popular girl and when you get her perspective it's mostly she's mean because she will stay popular which means she will keep people around and she won't feel lonely but she's really mean like I'm not talking about like she's mean but then you know this one kid gets made fun of for being gay or they assume he's gay and they like use the f word and stuff and you, like I'm ready for her to be like hey like stop why are you doing that and she just like laughs um to which the guy Misha saw and then just absolutely bullied her bullies her through like most of the book and I didn't like either of them and I'm really sad because like I should have loved this book uh, I think part of it is just the writing of the book and the storytelling of the book but I honestly I'm just not here for like a mean like really mean I'm not here for a bully book like I know those are kind of popular some some places on the internet but I'm not here for bully books I'm not here to <laughs> people to get bullied i'm not into it <laughs> but what i did appreciate about this book was in the end she had a penelope douglas had like a little a chapter or so talking about um 
the book and I didn't read all of it, but I read part of it where she's talking about Ryan, the main character and how she's mean and how she, she essentially was like, thank you for reading this because I know Ryan was a bitch and I wanted to write a story where the main character, the female main character was not necessarily a good person. And I appreciated that because I didn't like her because she was a bad person, but you know, if she were male, I would have given her a lot more leeway. And I think it's, I thought it was really. Now who's a misogynist? Yeah, now who's a I Literally, when I was thinking about it, I was like, that's going to be said. I just, I really appreciated like that call out of like, yeah, no, you're right. Like, I really didn't like her, but he was better. But he, I mean, he was slightly better. But if like the roles were reversed, would I really feel this strongly about it? I don't know. Probably. I probably feel different. Um, So I appreciated that thought-provoking part at the end. Um, So I appreciated the book (laughs) because I got that, but I didn't like the book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of it is just, I read another book by her and I didn't like it either. I didn't finish. And um, she's really popular on book talk. She writes spicy stuff. And um, there's uh, two characters that come into this book that are his cousins One's like famous and one's rich and they're just pompous assholes. But there are two other books with them in it. And I was like, all right, well, let me go see. Cause I liked them. <laughs> what were they about? Uh, no, absolutely not. No, it was like, there's dark romance and this is all those bad things. And I was like, this is an absolute no for me. This is kidnapping. <laughs> not here for this. I can't do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I won't be reading any of her other books anytime soon. <laughs> But uh, you know what? People like that stuff and that's cool. But that one wasn't for me. Um, I'm just sad because like I should have loved this book. <laughs> I really just wanted them to go with like the emo kid and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it was it was good. The ending was good, though. The ending was was good. She ends up being nice to the gay kid, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I felt. Cool. <laughs> um. Let me tell you, Mary, about cakes. I love cake. Me too. Cake, cake, cake. Uh, well, from Dwarven Rations, you can get an artisanal cake made with a dedication quality. Yes. Uh, they are made in Bermuda, and they have been shipping them worldwide for over 20 years, which is really good. That's a long time to be shipping cakes. Uh, they offer many different flavors. Traditional, so lemon and Madagascar vanilla. Chocolate, light and fluffy yet brownie-like. Swizzle, so Michigan cherries, apricots, pineapple, orange, and lemon, like a rum punch. Coconut, uh, so coconut shreds with the rum cake flavor for a pina colada. And rum and ginger uh, with apricots and ginger in the spirit of a dark and stormy. Um, all those different flavors. Just waiting for you to order. Uh, each box also contains a random tabletop RPG die, which we all know is a bonus Jonas, a bonus Jonas. Um, <laughs> they also have their own special, incredibly low cost custom advertising cake kit for people who want to offer a merch product for their fan base, but they don't want to handle buying or shipping inventory. Cause that's annoying. Um, they do all of that. And then they send you the cash as the cake sell, which is great for starting up merch because it does not have a lot of upfront cost. Um, each cake is fantasy themed and made by a dedicated group of gamers, nerds, and artists. So, you know, it's good. Kindred spirits are making your cakes for you. You'll be able to taste it. You'll be able to taste the kindred spirit at work. It's like a delicacy. Yeah. 
they currently are working out of the Bermuda Rum Cake Company in Bermuda, um, but are working to get a stateside bakery slash gaming center up and running in the coming months and years. So when you buy a cake, you're moving that dream forward. Uh, to find out more, you can go to their webpage at docglass.com slash dwarven rations. That's D-O-C-K-G-L-A-S-S.com com slash dwarven rations, or you can click the link in our show notes to go right to it. Uh, the last thing I have is that I watched the movie Hugo, which came out a long time ago. A long time ago. And this is an adaptation of The Invention of Hugo Cabret, a novel by Brian Selznick, I think is who it was. Uh, he's a like illustrator and writer. Um, and Hugo is directed by Martin Scorsese, which I bring up only because it does not feel like it's something not this you would. It's movie, right? It is that oh, movie. It is, this movie. it is that movie. Um, it is not something that you would expect to see Martin Scorsese's name on until you watch it. Um, I am not, I'm not like. The thing with Martin Scorsese is that, like, I actually agree with a lot of what Martin Scorsese says about film um, because he, like, really hates the MCU. And I, like... Also hate the MCU? I don't hate the MCU. I just... I don't love it. You I don't, everything up to hate it. Yeah, I don't love it, and I don't necessarily think that it's good for film, right? I don't like the hold that it... Ha- the stranglehold that it has on pop culture and the trickle-down effects of it having a stranglehold on pop culture. Those are the things I don't like. I actually, d- the movies are, like, mostly fine... There's some ones I really like and there's like maybe a couple I hate, but like for the most part, I think they're fine. But I actually agree with a a lot. I I think a lot of people want to read Martin Scorsese uncharitably when he says things um, because it feels like an attack on your livelihood. But like he is a person who's very focused on like film preservation and like like quote unquote cinema as an experience. And like I can agree with that even as somebody who would not consider like film to be my... um, like major media love like I for a long time I would say I didn't really like watching movies or tv and it turns out I just don't like watching bad ones <laughs> um so you know anyway uh I like watching bad ones <laughs> there's there is a certain joy in a bad movie mm-hmm. um but it has to be like a bad movie oh, I forgot I watched another movie but it doesn't talk about it. not not I don't like to watch a mediocre movie you know I there's like there's like bad movies that are enjoyable like what Jesus Christ vampire hunter. And then there's like bad movies that just like are unpleasant, like spring breakers. Um, also should have been good. Should have been so good. So bad. Anyway, Hugo is, uh, is about this young boy in, uh, like early 20th century Paris. Uh, everybody in this movie is inexplicably British. I guess there are no French actors who also speak English. I don't know. Everybody in this movie is British. Uh, and this, this young boy works in the clocks of Montparnasse station. I probably said that wrong and I'm sorry. Um, the train station and he keeps all the clocks running and um, he is an orphan after his mother and father. Well, his mother died when he was y- even younger and then his father died um, in a fire and he gets abducted, uh, adopted is the word i'm looking for not abducted he gets adopted sort of abducted by his alcoholic uncle who works in the clocks and teaches him to do this and then his uncle dies and so he takes over but this whole time he is kind of rebuilding this uh automaton um which he believes may be may, may like have some kind of um relationship to his father and the first the movie is about like it's a little over two hours long and the first like 45 minutes of this movie really drag on 
it's beautiful. Like it's it's really beautiful. The cinematography, beautiful. The colors, beautiful. The costumes, beautiful. But boy, howdy, I did not care what was going on for like the first forty five minutes of this movie. Doesn't he do long? Mo- I mean, now it doesn't really matter because every movie is long. But isn't he known for like longer movies? He does do longer movies. He's I think he's like primarily known for like serious like almost gangster movies or yeah. crime movies. Um, but he also did uh, The Wolf of Wall Street and. I need to see that. I think you'll like the Wolf of yeah, Wall Street. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I will. Uh, and uh, and he did Hugo as well. And and like I said, at first you're kind of like, why would he do Hugo? But then you find out that the movie, uh, much of the movie, is about the life of um, Georges Méliès or Méliès, um, who is the French filmmaker who made. Remember in sci-fi class, we watched the movie about the man, the rocket shooting into yes, the moon. Yes, yes. He's the creator of that film. Oh. And, it turns out that he, like, in his real life, so much of the the story based on that filmmaker's real life is actually taken from life. So he he had to sell off most of his film um, after like a series of of bad issues. I, I don't know that it was bad investments. There was like a, there was like a series of things that happened, and he had to sell off all of his film. Um, it, much of the film was then melted down for the celluloid and so lots of his films were just completely lost Sad. he did get invested in automatons um he automaton it's like a robot oh, okay like a clockwork robot okay um and he um ended up working at a like opening a toy shop at this train station in france um and so the movie shifts from being the story about this little boy who works in the clockworks to being a movie about cinema about the joys of film and about the beauty of film as an artistic medium and about film preservation and once that part of the story clicks you're like oh okay i understand why martin scorsese was interested in this story and also this the movie gets a lot better Mm. um it's it's ostensibly a movie for children and i think i don't think that children would like not enjoy watching it but i think that like it might be a little bit dull for for somebody who isn't interested in in film as a as a medium. Um, I would say the first forty five minutes, I was like, I don't understand why this was so highly praised. And then the last, you know, hour and fifteen minutes or hour and a half or whatever, um, I really liked. It just took a, it took quite a while to get there. It was it, the movie was too long and it felt unfocused in the beginning. But once you get to like unraveling the mystery of this automaton and um, the, the connection to Meliere, um, I really liked it. And it, the whole way through, it's beautiful. Like, it's it's lovely to look at. Like, just lovely to look at. Um, I, it is weird that apparently everybody in France is British. Uh, like... Just don't think you I'm, are. This is, like, a really common thing with, like, any movie that takes place in Europe, everybody in it is British. And I'm like, surely, surely there are French people that speak English. Right. Like there, surely there are actors who are French who also speak. I know this is true. I've seen them. I know they exist, but apparently there are only three of them and they don't get to appear in other movies or something. Um, but overall, the movie was I really liked it. It was just it takes a while to get into. And uh, I know the first time I watched it, like when it came out and I fell asleep uh, and I assume I did not make it past that first 45 minutes. Um, because it just it didn't grab my interest, but once it does, very enjoyable, um, and I really liked it. You just have to understand that that first forty five minutes or whatever, like I don't know why it's there. I don't know what it's doing. It just feels like a waste of time until we get to the the interesting parts about film and that kind of stuff. So, 
Last thing I have is the movie Antlers, which um, I saw and I was like, I saw parts of it and I was like, oh, that looks good, but it looks too spooky. My husband watched it and he's like, I really think you can watch this. And it's definitely like folk horror-esque. And I know you like that. So I was like, all right, be prepared. If it's too spooky to be getting up every time I need to go to the bathroom <laughs> and coming with me. Um it was not too spooky. There are some spooky moments, but it was not too spooky. So the story is about a boy whose um, father is, uh, I I believe he's uh, he's dealing drugs, but I think he's also making drugs in this old abandoned mine shaft. And um, they find this place where there's like, you know, bones hanging from the ceiling and like sticks, you know, the good old stuff. And then there's this like scene, something happens and they're clearly affected by some some monster years later the boy you find out his dad has turned into this weird monster who and not a monster yeah a monster who he has to keep locked in his bedroom and for some reason i don't know why uh his little brother is also affected he's not as bad like he can still like see his brother and like bring him food without like the fear of being killed most of the times um where where his dad like just wants to eat him i don't know and um yeah so it says that this kid just you know just trying to live his life just trying to live his life he's he's really protective of his family because he doesn't want anyone to like come and see what's going on his teacher's like something is wrong here there's some bullies in there and then he ends up shitting in their backpacks so that was great i appreciated that um and i think is it katie holmes carrie russell it's carrie russell uh she's the teacher and she she comes back to this town um, after she had left and she had kind of abandoned her brother, who's a cop now, uh, because she was it, you don't know 100 percent what it is, but it's heavily suggested that she was sexually abused by her father. And there's some really weird, un- like disturbing scenes about that in the movie, which are not like you don't see any sexual assault happening. But stuff that I'm not going to say on here because it's it's not worth the trigger because <laughs> um, it was pretty wild. So I would I would definitely if you're going to watch it, um, look for uh, look up the the content warnings on it. Um, but yeah, she finds out, you know, his dad's a monster and we got to kill that. That's not good. This kid needs to be able to live his life. And, uh, you know, in the end, they do. And then she adopts him. And um it was fine. <laughs> I didn't. Th- I didn't think it was super great. I thought the monster was super cool. I just. I don't know. It was missing something, and it was fine. I didn't dislike it. I just thought it was. I don't know. It wanted to be a horror movie and a folk horror movie, and I don't think it could decide which one it wanted to be. I mean, a folk horror is horror, but like a typical horror movie, like it felt like it was trying to appease a mass, like a larger audience and like be like a gateway into this type of movies, but it didn't feel like it worked for me. And I don't know if that's because I really love folk horror. So it didn't, it like didn't go deep enough for me in that or what? Uh, what, Like, I wonder if we need a gateway. Like what, what about the wicker man? The old one is unapproachable. I, well, I agree. I agree. I mean, Midsommar. Yeah, I, I, here's the, I I agree. I agree. So this one didn't make sense. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I 
I don't know. Maybe that's just me inserting like the first thing I can think of. Well, we don't do that here. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, but it, I think it just had a lot of potential and it, and it fell flat for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but cool imagery. Um, cool imagery. Learning that, you know, mine shafts are haunted. Yeah. I'm reading another book where there's um, monsters and gods in, in the mines. Uh, abandoned mines and i'm just like i guess this is just a thing Mm -hmm. which i guess when i think about it yeah it is it totally is absolutely yeah so watch out for the elder gods and and there because you know it happens Mm -hmm. um yeah that's all i have to say it was okay (laughs) well that's it for this episode you can find us online at fake geese fake geese (laughs) fake geese girls fake geek geese girls fake geese girls that's what we are hong kong um, Hong Kong, bitch. <laughs> you can find us online at fakegeekgirls.com. What a mess I am. Fakegeekgirlscast.com has all of our previous episodes as well as a link to our podcast network, Penwich Studio, where you can find great podcasts from great people. You can quote me on that. Uh, next, oh, if you like us, maybe you want to join our Discord to talk about Fruits Basket. And your fruits basket memories. Just a thought. That's, yeah. That was the topic of, of conversation this morning. So uh, if you want to join our Discord, just shoot me an email at fakegeekgirlscast. No, don't. Shoot me an email at contact at fakegeekgirlscast.com and I will get you an invite. Um, it is a it is a free to join open Discord server. I just don't put the link out there because I don't want people joining in bad faith and me having to like heavily moderate. Um, so I only put it in at the end of the episode and invite you to join then because I figure you already invested. You made it here. You've passed my trial. So then you may join. Um, next time, it's Hellblazer time, baby. <laughs> I'm so ready. Get ready for the longest episode. You know what sucks? Hmm. There's so little scholarship about you, Hellblazer. You know what's funny is when I was last night when I was looking for something to watch on YouTube, I was like, I wonder if there's a good like, Constantine breakdown or something that would help me with some of the stuff and there's there's like a seven year old video about Constantine in the comic yeah um, but it's seven years old this is this is the thing is like Vertigo we'll talk about this in the episode we'll talk about Vertigo and like what's going on there but like I think there are so many Vertigo titles that ended up getting more attention like of course Sandman got all the attention um but like you know it's it's interesting because like John Constantine among like comic characters is like number seven most popular or best comic character of all time or whatever. But there's no scholarship about Hellblazer. There's so little. Um, it's a real bummer for me. Uh, this is me announcing I'm going back to college so that I can write a dissertation on Hellblazer. I'd support you. Um, not really. I'm not doing that. But uh, yeah, there's not a lot. And that just means that we have to be the pioneers here. Just like... B-movie. Just like, no, B-movie had a lot. It was, uh, oh, maybe, what was it that had like none? I think it was B-movie. Maybe it was B-movie and it was Shrek that had a bunch. Shrek had a bunch because you had a whole book. I had a whole book about Shrek. Yeah. That's right. Um, so maybe it was B-movie. I don't know. Regardless. The cars, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Who made the cars, Jerry? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, we're gonna. I can't wait to talk about it though because I fucking love it. I love I love Hellblazer so much. I feel like even though I didn't, I started reading Hellblazer like after high school, but I feel like it's formative. 
to me. That's fair. This like early twenties is formative. Yeah, you change so much. Yeah, I feel like it's I feel like it's formative, and sometimes I read it and I feel called out. <laughs> um, and I, it's one of those things where I was like, I don't know why I like this so much, and then I thought about it for a while, and I was like, oh. I understand I why I like this so a much. Um, but we'll be doing uh, Hellblazer original, original Sins, uh, Dangerous Habits, which is a very famous arc, uh, and then John Constantine Hellblazer, the newest series put out under uh, Sandman Universe Presents and DC Black Label. Not confusing at all. Uh, not at all. There's two number ones. Who doesn't love that? Um Anyway, the and then we'll, we'll talk about the Newcastle arc as well, but you don't have to read that whole volume. You could really just Google the Newcastle incident and figure it out. But I figured since I already have Mary's attention, I might as well force her to read more. Um, and I'll probably read what I have. And then if I have time. Yeah, it's not the most important thing, but it is like a good, a good like context. Here or... is here is why he is the way he is. I mean, the where they talk about it, he's pretty fucked up. Where you where you do read it in the book, mm-hmm. so like clearly something happened. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Um, it's it's really the origin of the tried to do the right thing, fucked it up worse. <laughs> um, after that, we're going to be be doing Constantine the show, starring yeah, Matt baby. Ryan, and uh, Constantine the film, starring Keanu Reeves, um, and. I wanted to do those second so that we can talk about like, are these successful adaptations? What makes John Constantine and why, in my opinion, having not watched all of the Constantine show, but why I actually think that Constantine, the movie is a better Constantine adaptation than Constantine, the show. Uh, That's my spicy take. And then after that, we will be doing either fruits, baskets, basket. It's fruits, basket, or skins. I'm not sure which one yet. It kind of depends on how fast we could get through things. I'm, I'm going to say probably skins because there's a lot of fruits. <laughs> there's a lot of skins too. That's true. That's true. But there's a lot of fruits baskets. How long is this series? The book, the mangas? How many are there? I don't know. I'll have to look. They're pretty breezy though. Yeah. I mean, I guess they, they I've read a couple. They're not, um, they're not really complex. And that's good. There's a lot of them, but that you can read them pretty fast. Cool. Um, so we'll see about that. We might also stick something else in there if we feel like we need more time for either Fruits Basket or or Skins. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, but that's it. All right. Catch you on the flip side. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. And yet here we are, in defiance of Lovecraft, laughing through the darkness. The Lovely Craftians is an all-ladies Call of Cthulhu actual play podcast with horror, humor, and no small amount of chaos set in an occasionally familiar modern-day Chicago. Brought to you by Wampus House Productions and the Penwich Studio Network, you can find The Lovelies on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher, or anytime over at lovelycraftians.com. And remember, you never roll sanity alone here. <laughs>